Today we're kicking off a new series on, on our values and mission. And I'm really excited about this uh, because over the last couple months I had been blogging on this city about our values and mission. And I've been talking about the things that we value as a congregation. And in fact, our, our foundations class that started today is based on our values. Today they talked about the value of the gospel and, and why we value the gospel, what it means to value the gospel. Next week, we're going to be talking about the value of the Bible. We talk about read your Bible, right? But why should we read our Bible? And how do we read our Bible? And what's, what's the value of the Bible? And Keith Temple's going to be teaching that course. Uh, Keith is teaching this course because he's one of a few men who gave me a taste for the Bible. You know, you can hear somebody say, read the Bible, and you're like, yeah, no thanks. You know, and it's like you get in, but he talked about the Bible in a way and with a language and with a, with a passion that made me want it. You know, kind of the same way we try and trick our kids into eating vegetables. We're like, yeah, this, these Brussels sprouts are delicious. <laughs> Eat it. You know, and, and you know, but, but he wasn't lying. I could tell, you know, my kids see straight through my lie. They're like, Dad, you're lying or you'd eat a whole plate of them. They're like, oh, they're so great. You want mine? No. <laughs> and we do a thing called the daddy tax at our house where, you know, I'm teaching them about life the way my dad taught me about life. And so anytime they're eating something delicious, I take some of it and I tell them it's a daddy tax and they're going to be paying taxes the rest of their life. So they just better get used to it. And they caught on that I never take taxes of the, you know, green beans. <laughs> Not once have I taken peas. And, um, but they know that. Um, but, but, but if you come to this class and if you're struggling trying to figure out how to start your relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've been walking for a long time with Jesus, and, and you just, you want that taste to be renewed for the things of God and the things of his spirit, please come out to this class. I promise you that you will leave encouraged and inspired to know God more. Um, But today we're talking about the value of encountering Christ. At Grace Covenant, we have these three values. We, We say, and it's the same in Chantilly, we say we desire for disciples to encounter Christ, experience community, and extend the kingdom. And then I'm adding the word together, right? Encounter Christ, Experience community, extend the kingdom together. And uh, today we're focusing on encountering Christ, and then we'll, we'll finish up the rest of the series after Pastor Jim preaches next week. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he writes this in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, 
according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for bringing us here today. God, we choose to believe that we're not here on accident, but because you have led us to this time so that we can receive from you today, so that you can birth things in us, so that you can make us more into who you've intended us to be from the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. When we approach scripture, we need to know that even though I said Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus, we do believe that God inspired the writing of this. It is the word of God. It's God's word. And and it was inspired uh, in Paul to, to put it down and to write it down. And we believe that these are the words of God for us today and that they didn't have meaning and power for them that isn't available for us today. Okay, so it's a, it's a letter that was written to address very specific things and it was used to encourage the church at that time and they passed it around all the little churches and everybody was built up and encouraged by it. But it has power for us now in this life and it's designed and intended to train us, to correct us, to, to rebuke us, but also to, to, to bring us into the fullness of what God intends for us to be. You with me? And that's why we take this part of, that's why we take this so seriously. And uh, because we believe that God is speaking to us. And now we're going to kind of figure out what it is that he's saying. Um, this is a letter that was written to Christians. And that's why when I, when I remember that it's written to Christians, I go back and I, and I, I read it again. And I'm like, wait, you, you wrote this to Christians and you're saying that we would be strengthened and encouraged, that we would know the love of God. And it's funny that he's not writing to people that have never tasted God and saying you need to know the love of God. He's writing to people who already are Christians and saying you need to know the love of God. I want to encourage you today that the deeper things of God aren't extras Extras. They're not extras. It's not the neat numbers and what, what do the numbers mean and what do the places mean and what does this word mean and what does that word mean and what's this connection and I need new revelation about something fresh. Going deeper in God is just more fully understanding the love and the heart of God. And it's really tempting to think that, okay, so I, I know the gospel. What's next? The gospel again but we're going to understand it better and we're going to believe it more. You know, so it's not, there, there's not this next thing that we move on to. Okay, I got that God loves me. What's next? Well, if you're saying what's next, you don't really understand how deeply God loves you. You with me? And so, so we, we want to mine in and because Paul is writing to them and saying, I, I am bowing down and crying out to God that you would understand the love that he has for you and the strength that he has stored up for you according to his Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus. Embedded in Paul's prayer is, is a desire, I think, to see people transformed in three ways. That there's an upward transformation, there's an inner transformation, and there's an outward transformation. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to briefly touch on all three of these, the upward, the inner, and the outward and what they mean. But then I'm going to close by spending most of our time on the upward. 
Because if we don't have the upward right, the inner and the outward uh, won't, won't function the way they're supposed to. It's like driving a car without gas. So the upward. That's our relationship to God. It's how we relate with him and to him. He says, I, I pray that you might, uh, that God might grant you to be strengthened through the power or with the power of his spirit. And so in order to gain access to the things of God, the power that God intends for us to be transformed is only accessible through his spirit. So we need to, re- we need to relate to him and we need to know him and we need to have, have uh, some level of connection with him. And that we would know the love of Christ. It's not just that we would know his power. It's not that we would know his reputation. It's not that we would just know about him. Not just that we would know the traditions of the church. Not that we would just know a lot of things about the church. A lot of things about the Bible. Not a lot of things about the Holy Spirit or about the Father or about the Nativity. You with me? It's not a lot of things about Christianity. I know 1,500 years of Christian history. Congratulations. But that's not what he wants us to know the most. He's wanting us to know his love. The love of Christ. You know, seminaries are full of people who have tons of head knowledge. Um, it's too easy to sacrifice an intimate knowing for an, an intellectual knowing and let your heart stray from the thing that you're learning about. It'd be funny if, not really funny at all, it'd be a disaster really if I started memorizing my wife's habits and patterns and likes and dislikes and started serving them mechanically. Well, she likes this. Flowers on Friday. (laughs) Unload the dishwasher. Laundry on Tuesday. Right? And, and And I just memorized it. Even if I did every single thing that she likes, but my heart is absent from her and my, my heart is absent from those functions, I have a feeling I'd have a very disappointed wife. After a while, she'd like it for a, for a minute. <laughs> Whew, take a nap. But to go through the functions and to do the things without engaging with my heart would be missing perhaps the most important part. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't last long. So men, do the, do the laundry and stuff, but engage your heart. Some of the guys are like disappointed on both fronts. You know, it's like, gentlemen, you can do it. It's a relationship that grows in intimacy and closeness as we nurture that relationship. And, and both of those words scare most men. Intimacy and closeness and relationship. You know, it's like, whew. But we're drawing close to the creator of the universe. You're drawing close to the one who can train you and form you into who you're supposed to be. And that's something worth doing. Intimacy can be spelled any sort of way. Well, I mean, there's one way to spell intimacy, but you can also spell it T-I-M-E. Need time with God. You know, sometimes we're like, I wish I was just growing in Jesus. You know, I'm not seeing the fruit that I expect. Well, have you spent time with Him? 
I went to church a couple weeks ago. Good. Did you spend any other time with him? We've got to spend some time with him. And we're going to talk about how to spend time with him later, but I just want to highlight that. It's also time with him doesn't have much value if, we, if we're not transparent with him. You know, sometimes, you know, it's one thing to come to me and be like, yeah, I'm good. And things are falling apart in the background. You just don't want me to see it. It's another thing to go to God and be like, God, I'm good. And we go to him and we're not honest about our weakness and our failings and our shortcomings and the sin and, and you know, everything else. It's like we need to let him all the way into these things so that the T-I-M-E that we spend with him has the value that God intends for it to have. We'll talk more about the upward later. There's the inner man. There's this inner transformation that's available so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's not, it's not a visitation. It's not like I asked Jesus into my heart 30 years ago and, and here I am. He's, he's dwelling there. He wants, he wants to dwell there and be there. He wants to make a home there. I want Christ to be there. I want it to be something, someone I'm aware of and that I'm intimate with and I understand and I talk to and I relate to. It's not much of a home without conversation. It's not about crying out to Jesus and just having spiritual, uh, spiritual moments and a spiritual faith that has no practical outworking because as we spend time with God and, and, and cultivating that upward relationship, our inner man is transformed. God begins to rewire and reshape and, and change our tastes and change our behaviors and change our attitudes. And somehow, by being in the presence of God, we get changed. And if you get in a healthy environment and you do what you can to get rid of the unhealthy things in your life, you'll start to be changed just by being around God. Because where God is, life happens. As you get draw close to God, it's so amazing. We're going to talk about uh, Zacchaeus being up in the tree and how God was just passing through Jericho. But you see, he's just passing through Jericho and he ends up healing a blind man and changing Zacchaeus' life because wherever Jesus goes, life happens. Transformation occurs. It's not transformation or changing that n- neither the blind man, Bartimaeus, in, in, in Luke 18 or Zacchaeus in Luke 19 were, woke up that day and were like, Today? I'm going to see. No, Bartimaeus was probably like, well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to beg and I hope to eat dinner tonight. And Zacchaeus is a traitor to the Jewish people. So he's probably like, well, I just trying to get through the day. And both of them woke up and just because, because Jesus was just passing through, they were completely transformed. How much more does time and intimacy and, and relationship Cultivate transformation in our soul. And I love this part. As much as all of this is personal, it's not private. And the transformation that God intends for us to experience in his presence isn't just for us. It's not just for me. The destiny for you that I'm most excited about isn't just your destiny. The destiny that I'm most excited about for you is the one that knits you to other people so that the mosaic that God is creating can be fulfilled and accomplished with you in it. 
That's why he says, with all the saints. There's a certain power that's available with the saints that's not accessible or attainable by yourself. I wish I had thought about this ahead of time, so I'm going to mess up the math. You can Google it. But it's like, you know those, those big horses? I think they're called draft horses. The ones with the big legs. No farmers? Okay, that's cool. So, I'll, no, it doesn't matter. You don't know anyway. I'm just going to make it all up. So when you get, <laughs> one horse can pull, let's just call it 11 tons. <laughs> one ton? Two tons. Two tons. Let's call it two tons. You can pull a car, right? I do know that the amount that two of these horses can pull is exponential. It's not one horse can pull one car. It's, or it is that one horse can pull two, one car. But two horses can't just pull two cars. Two horses can pull like 11 cars. It's pretty remarkable. But you'll have to take my word for it or Google it. <laughs> Look it up yourself. But God designs us and intends for us to be together. He intends for you to benefit from my transformation. And he intends for me to benefit from your transformation. As you grow in God, as your upward relationship is nourished and strengthened, as you get built up in the faith and this upward relationship spills into your personal life and your inner man is renewed and transformed and changed, what happens is the change that occurs in you spills over to the people around you. It spills over to your neighbor. It spills over to your family. It spills over to each of us. And that's why we believe in doing small groups. That's why we want you to get in a small group throughout the week if you can, so that you can allow what God's doing in your life to spill over into other people's lives and so that what's happening in other people's lives can spill over into your life and so that you can experience the benefit for that or from that. And what what tends to happen is we know about the inner and we know about the outward, but we don't know that that's actually stuff that God intends to do. So we think, okay, well, my Christianity is an upward, uh, upward relationship. It's spiritual. So I'll go to God for spiritual things. But then I'll go to the counselor for my inner things. And I'll just act like everything's okay for the outward things. But that's not what God intends to do. I'm not blasting counselors. I'm not a counselor. I, I have benefited from counselors. People I love benefit from counselors. But, but, but counselors can only kind of rearrange stuff instead of the transforming things that occur that the Spirit of God can do in our soul. Okay? So sometimes, if, if, like, you might meet with me and be like, things are a mess. And I'm going to be like, hey, I'm going to pray with you, but we're also going to get some counselors. Right? And, and we're, we're gonna, we're gonna get a counselor involved in this because this is outside of my, my realm of, of competency. But we're gonna believe God that even as you meet with the, the counselor, that the Holy Spirit is gonna be the one that does a spiritual work in your soul and transforms you with the help of a counselor. Are you with me? And then the outward thing, so often we don't realize that it's actually a spiritual thing too. So your people aren't actually the people that you come to church with. Your people are that other set of people. It's like you've got the people that you like and then the people you go to church with. Don't laugh too much because you'll tell on your, everybody's just uh, awkward. Um, 
right? And so you've got these two sets of, you've got these two sets of people, but there's a spiritual thing that God wants to do when spiritual people are thinking together in community. There's this word, uh, fellowship. Churches use it all the time and nobody knows what it means. That's why I don't like to say fellowship from the stage. We don't have fellowship lunches. Like, what is that? Margie's going to play the, the organ, you know? Sorry. <laughs> What is, a, what is fellowship? Fellowship is the un- distinct Christian community that's built around Christ. It's built around Christ. I can spend time with my non-Christian friends and enjoy time with my non-Christian friends, but the fellowship has that added component of the Holy Spirit indwelling that, that conversation, the Holy Spirit indwelling that moment, the Holy Spirit spurring things on and catalyzing growth in all of us as we spend time together. That's the difference between hanging and fellowship. Now, you don't have to call it fellowship. I'm going to go over for some fellowship. <laughs> You know, let's go over and fellowship over dinner. Well, you, you could say, I'm going to go hang out at their house. But be mindful of the fellowship that's occurring. Because it's a spiritual thing. Like I said, the inner and the outward should be results of a properly functioning upward relationship with Jesus. In Luke 19, we see a little bit. I preached on this in December. But we're going to take a slightly different look at the account of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. We see this guy, Zacchaeus. Actually, let me, let me take a step back from there. Jesus is passing through Jericho. He's heading to Jerusalem. It doesn't mean that Jericho is unimportant. It just means that Jesus was focused on getting to there but he was coming through here because he knew there was something that he had to take care of there. I love the as-you-go nature of Jesus. You get this sense that he's just kind of like walking and crowds are coming up and he's like, yeah, you know, and, but he's not too busy to stop and to turn aside when Bartimaeus cries out to him in Luke 18. He's like, hey, I hear you, I see you. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus is like, I want to see you know, when, when Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? He was talking to a blind man. I'm sure people were like, what do you think he wants, Jesus? <laughs> you know, like the people following Jesus weren't all like super Christians, right? They were sarcastic like us. Like the dude's blind. Can Jesus even see that? <laughs> like, what do you think he's going to ask for? Sometimes Jesus asks a question so that, uh, you know, we know the answer. Like prayer is designed for us to kind of unravel and untangle our soul, you know, as much as it is like for us to understand what's going on. It's not for God to understand what's going on. He already knows I'm a mess. (laughs) He already knows what I need the most. It's just what I think I need the most on the surface isn't really what I actually need. And prayer helps me kind of get rid of the extra stuff and the surface stuff and get all the way down. And then by the time I'm done praying, I'm like, okay, I don't need a Maserati. I'm like, I really just need your love. And he's like, good. You know, and he breaks us down. But he doesn't ask me to pray to him because he's like, David, I really would love to know what's going on in your mind. He's probably like, David, I need you to pray so we can fix what's going on in your mind. 
So Jesus is passing through Jericho. Jericho is not unimportant. It's quite important or he wouldn't have walked through it. It's quite important or it would have been uh, recorded in scripture that these things happen. So Bartimaeus gets his sight and he continues and he enters into, Jer- into Jericho. And now he's in this place that nobody expected him to be. I'm sure the disciples are like, Jesus, we're going to be late. We've got a kingdom to overthrow. You know, because <laughs> everybody's following him because he thinks they think he's going to overthrow. He's going to start this rebellion and overthrow the Roman government. And the Jewish people are going to have their day. And, and he's like, actually, this is my day right here. This is what I'm here to do. And so he stops and, and, and he's, he's going and the crowd's following him. There's this dude in a tree and his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a short man. The Bible describes him as short. I think he was probably short, not just physically as the Bible describes, but short in his soul as well. He was a traitor to his, to his, to his community because he was a tax collector, which meant he worked for Rome by shaking down the people in his community and then taking extra money away from them. Because that's what the Roman government allowed him to do. So here's this guy, Zacchaeus, of short stature, up in a tree. All Zacchaeus knows is that there's this guy, Jesus, coming. He's doing all these remarkable things. And and there's this crowd around him. And in the account in Luke 19, it says, Zacchaeus climbed the tree to see who Jesus was. And in doing so, he ends up setting an example for all of us about how we should encounter Jesus. The the story of Zacchaeus, the account of Zacchaeus, wraps up this way. Jesus walks up. He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree, and he's like, come down right now. We're throwing a party at your house, and I'm coming. And everybody's like, whoa, Jesus like hanging out with sinners. There he goes again. We're supposed to be overthrowing the government, and Jesus is throwing a party with a sinner. By the, well, I don't know who's in here. I just had this thought, you know, it's like sometimes we're like, you could hear what I just said and be like, oh, he said, go to the party with the sinners. Yes, but there probably wasn't weed being smoked at that party. Right? I mean, they're not not getting trashed and hammered at this party. I'm sure people were like, oh, Jesus here, we better behave a little bit. And uh, just take what you want from that. (laughs) I hope that helps somebody, Shanique. Shanique. <laughs> Zacchaeus is so impacted. Let me let, look, Jesus is inviting himself into our house. He's inviting himself all the way in. You just want to figure out who he is, but 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 if but if if you catch his eye, he's gonna invite himself in. I love that Zacchaeus didn't hide because he knew he was, everybody knew he was a sinner. Everybody knew he was an awful man to them. But he didn't hide. He didn't go, oh no, Jesus, I'm not worried. I, I can't. He's like, whoa. This man wants to spend time with me. I'm going to say yes. If you feel Jesus knocking on the, the door of your heart, don't hide because you're not good enough. Let him in. Zacchaeus is so impacted that he's transformed and he gives all the money back and he goes beyond that and does even more than that. That's not what I wanted to focus on today. Regardless of how long or short of a time you've been walking with Jesus, God is calling us all to climb a tree to see who he is. 
Most sin for a Christian is the direct result of not believing the gospel. Most sin in a Christian's life is the direct result of not remembering who he is, what he has done, and what he desires to do in us and through us. So how do we get up in the tree? How do we get up in the tree to get eyes on Jesus and figure out who is this guy? The disciples had all these moments. The disciples had been walking with him. And I was, and there was this moment of the transfiguration where they went up on a mountain and Jesus had a couple of the disciples and they're like going up on the mountain with Jesus and they're like, we must really be something because we're going up on the mountain with Jesus. We're his favorites. And they get up on the mountain and God speaks and Elijah appears on the mountain and there's this monumental moment. And, and they were like, whoa. Who is this guy? There's this moment where the, st- the seas are, are, are crashing on this boat and the disciples think they're going to die and Jesus gets up and he says, peace be still. And then they were more afraid than they were when they thought they were going to die. Who is this guy? I mean, we've been walking with Jesus. He's been saying all these really neat spiritual things. He's been making fun of the, the, the elite people and, and he's going to overthrow, but, but there's something to him more than I realized. You know, I think it's easy to forget who Jesus is and what he has done. And so we got to climb up in the tree, set eyes on him and figure out who he really is. And if you've been walking with Jesus for more than maybe 10 years, I would say you're probably at the most risk of being really, really comfortable with Jesus. And just kind of accepting it and starting to rest into your own goodness. And it's like, well, I don't cuss like those other people. Pastor David's example of we, that's not for me. You know, that's, that's for other people. But you didn't get clean by yourself. And if your cleanliness is of yourself, then you're in more trouble than the person who's smoking weed. It's, it's, uh, it's exciting and scary and, and frustrating to watch the maturation of a, of a believer. You know, there's that moment where you trust Jesus with your life for the first time and you realize that God loves you in spite of all your sin. And he's made you new. And in that moment, you receive eternal life. And it's so exciting. And, and passion wells up inside of you. And you just want to please him. And so you serve him. And you're like, this is just amazing. And you want to be a part of the church. And you want to you be a part of a small group. And you want to go to the classes. And you want to eat it all up and drink it all up and be changed. And, and then, you know, then at about 18 to 24 months-ish, sometimes sooner, sometimes later, calamity comes. Something happens and you realize that life is actually still really hard and nothing got, like you're not exempt from pain. And you've got to go, oh, wait a second. Is Jesus a liar or is this the thing that he promised he'd comfort me through? And we've got to make that decision and it, and it hurts as a pastor to watch people run into that wall because it's like, but, but now it's like, okay, now we went from a place from having faith to being faithful. 
Can you be faithful and can you walk with Jesus? Can you trust him even when it hurts? Even when it's painful? Even when you don't see the result? Even when you forgive time after time after time and you walk in faith and you believe and you believe and you believe and this prayer wasn't answered the way you wanted and this prayer wasn't answered the way you wanted and this relationship broke up and this thing hurt and this thing is damaged and, and you wrecked your car and you got no money, right? Can you continue to trust God and to walk with him and to be faithful because, because what he did is true. And so, you know, you make it through that, that kind of, you make it through that kind of hurdle or through that wall, over the wall, whatever. Oh, you go over hurdles, not through them, I guess. (laughs) Unless you run like me, I got no ups or shim I go. (laughs) Run through them. Um, (laughs) Stacking up. (laughs) Like a bulldozer. Um, then if you make it through that, that's when you become at risk of becoming complacent. And instead of living, a, like desiring to please him, you, you start to believe that you're pleasing by yourself. And that's when we, so like at each stage, we need to go back and remember who he is and remember what it is that he's done and that he's doing. It's a lot. The Christian life is an invitation into trans into continual transformation. Continual. If you've been walking with God for 50 years, you should still be transformed by his love because his, his love is, is limitless. It has no depth that you can plumb to like, well, I tapped that out. What's next? More love. Deeper love. And what happens is because what happens is as we understand the love of God more and more and more, we realize also at the same time that my sinfulness is, is much deeper than I thought. Right. You know, as I, got, as I got rid of some of the external sin in my life, uh, I, I thought that my, my sinfulness was less. But then I realized, oh, gosh, it's the things that were motivating that sin that's so egregious. You with me? So as I understand the, the righteousness of God more and more, I also understand the depths of my sin more and more. And that makes Jesus even that much more remarkable because he's crossed this gap, not just this gap. Um, so how do we get up in the tree? And I'm sorry, and we'll close with these. I, I just got four quick thoughts. We get up in the tree by, by asking God to make himself real to us. We get up in the tree by reading the word. We need to get up in the tree of the word every single day to get a glimpse of him. In the Bible, we approach the heart and mind of God and we need to faithfully do it. It's not a burden. Now, now here's, here's a plug for next week, okay? Next week, Foundations class, we're talking about the Bible. So go. If you're like, I hear you talking about five for five, read your Bible. I don't even know why I should do it. This isn't a how to read your Bible. This is like, the Bible is awesome. And that's what that class will be. And it's going to be really encouraging. And I think you'll walk away with some, some practical things. But sometimes more than a practical thing, we just need a desire for the thing anyway, right? Uh, prayer and worship. So we get up in the tree through prayer and worship, spending time in his presence so God can do the things that only he can do.
Somebody asked me at the Life in the Spirit class yesterday, I would love to see this result take place in my spouse. How can I do it? All of married people who've been married for more than maybe five years or a year are like, whoo, it's prayer. All you can do is, is create an environment for that person to do what it is you hope they do and then pray for them. Because prayer does the thing that we can't do. It produces the results that we can't produce. We could fake it for a minute, but when the fire comes, when the testing comes, it'll be made plain if it was your effort or if it was something that God was doing. You know, one of the ways, if, if, you, if you struggle with your spouse um, and the relationship with Jesus, one of the things that you can do is, is just be like, you know, my wife helps, helps me and I, I love Jesus. And she'll be like, I love, she, she said it early on. She's like, I love it when you read your Bible. Or like when I see you reading your Bible. And it's like, man, I carry the Bible around the house. You know, you're holding it upside down and backwards. <laughs> what you reading? Uh... <laughs> Some weird Bible verse, you know. Um, and, and I'll close with this. You got to show up at the right places. You got to be in the right place. He went to where Jesus was. And Jesus can meet you in your home, and he, and he does. That's, a great, that's a, the most amazing and remarkable thing about God is he's everywhere. Like if we cut worship off short here, and you're like, man, we could have done another song. Well, that's cool. You can do it at your house. You just, <laughs> just download the song, do it in your car, go for it. I mean, that's, don't be stopping you there. There's no law against that. Well, you could sing all night at your house. <laughs> you want that song so much? Go ahead and praise and worship at your house. And if you don't want to do it alone, invite some friends over. Join a small group. But you've got to show up to the right places. Uh, Jesus more than likely isn't found in binge-watching Netflix shows or, you know, <laughs> Hulu or whatever it is, right? You're like, it's not, I don't watch Netflix. Well, Hulu, Okay. <laughs> The NFL championships, right? <laughs> you know, like, well, I don't watch football. I'm better than you. Well, whatever. Um, on a more serious level, he's not found in the bottom of a bottle. Unless the bottle you're drinking from is deep fellowship. He's not found in, you know, this, was, this is what I learned. Like, he's not found in food. You know, we've, we've talked about the, kind of the transformation I've been going through. I, I was looking for comfort in nachos. There was a time, Megan and I were talking about something stressful, and I'm, I promise I'm closing. There was a time that Megan and I were talking about something stressful in the kitchen, and I was halfway through a plate of nachos, before I realized I made them. 
Like, it was like, I wonder who made the nachos. And I turned around, and I saw the cheese all over the floor, and it was like, that was definitely me. <laughs> but there was this stress, and, and I, I, went, I went for this thing that I knew would give me immediate comfort. But the reality is it was just counterfeit comfort. It was just counterfeit. It felt good for a minute, but it wasn't going to last. It got me through the conversation because they were good nachos. <laughs> but it doesn't last. You feel kind of like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it doesn't last very long at all. But God brings comfort that does last and last. And after you find comfort in him, you desire more of it, not less of it. I don't walk out of a, out of a, out of a moment with Jesus in, in confession. I don't walk out of a moment of repentance or a moment of, of, of studying the Bible where I'm like, whoa, that was too cool. Shouldn't do that again. It's normally, why did I wait so long to get close to him? Why did I let, wait so long to let him get close to me? Family, we need to climb up the tree and get eyes on Get eyes on Jesus so that he can call us to himself and to deep fellowship. You know, a meal in somebody's house wasn't just a trivial or a trite thing. It was an intimate thing. It was, it was a close thing. God is not... It took Zacchaeus' effort to get up and see him but the resulting work wasn't his own. It was the work that God did in him. 